There are a lot of different things that can make us afraid. Fear is, after all, a natural instinct that can keep us safe and protect us. When fear becomes dangerous is where it stops being a safeguard and becomes a destructive, debilitating force. This is Christ is the Answer. I'm your host, Robin Monks. I want to invite you to join us as Pastor Randy Grozier teaches a valuable lesson on how to break up with fear. There's a lot to cover, so this will be the first part of a two-part series. Here's Pastor Randy. Over the next little while, some of these messages that you're going to hear me preach, I'm going to use some music to uh, kind of support them, uh, to, to, to put a little color, if you will, into them. So uh, I guess it was this first song, and the Lord really spoke to my heart, and then the second song, and uh, I just felt like there's something to share. So you listen. And this is one of those instances where listening to the melody isn't going to do the trick. You've got to listen to the lyrics. Listen uh, to what's being sung. Sick and tired of being sick and tired. Had as much of you as I can take. I'm so done, so over being afraid. Through the motions, I've been back and forth I know that you're thinking you've heard this before I don't know how to say it So I'm just gonna say it, yeah Fear you don't own me There ain't no room in this story And I ain't got time for you telling me what I'm not Like you know me, well guess what? You probably never saw it coming Something's gotta give so I give up you Oh, there's no room for you here, yeah, I've had enough The no vacancy sign on my heart is lit up In case you didn't hear it Story, and I ain't got time for you. 
Those, uh, if you're not uh, into contemporary Christian music, those were the musical stylings and dulcet tones of uh, Christian vocal artist um, Francesca Battistelli. And, you know, in the, in the video, she's singing, the title is The Breakup Song. And in the, in the video, she's ending, in the song, ending a destructive relationship with fear. Now, you know, all of us have a relationship with fear. And that's absolutely, absolutely true. Now, some fears are healthy. It's a healthy thing to fear fire. It's a healthy thing to fear rolling your truck, you know, or it's a healthy thing to, you know, there are certain fears that are healthy. And so on that score, we certainly all have fears that, you know, keep us safe. But it's also true that we have a relationship with fear, and this is as universal as the other, that is unhealthy. We're all troubled with or struggling with um, anxieties, apprehensions, or fears that uh, do damage to our lives. And we need to break up with fear. There are places in our lives where we need to see the Lord effect a deliverance in us. She sings that she's sick and she's tired. That she's had as much of fear as she cares to stomach. You know, and really that's got to be how we come to feel about fear. That, Lord, we're all done with fear. At least those fears that are destructive and those fears that are unhealthy and those fears that are crippling our lives. We need to say there's no more room, just like she sings in the, in the song. There's no more room in my story for that kind of crippling, destructive fear. Now, just in case you're concerned, I'm going to preach from a song. I would like to direct your attention this evening to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. This is what it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, let me just stop there. Paul had a very special place in his heart for Timothy. Paul had a great deal of respect for Timothy, and Paul calls upon Timothy, and you find it in various places that this is established throughout the text, throughout the Word of God, that Paul calls on Timothy to assume significant responsibilities because he admires him so much. In fact, in one place, he says to a group of people, I've got nobody like Timothy. He said, I'm sending this young man, younger man, to you, and I want you to know before he gets there that he's matchless in my experience. That's how uh, faithful a fellow Timothy was. And yet we're going to discover that for all the appreciation that Paul had for Timothy, he was not unaware of the fact that Timothy had his weaknesses and his struggles. 
So he calls him a beloved son. He wishes to him grace, mercy, and peace. And he says, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, uh, I remember you in my prayers night and day. So he says to Timothy, I'm praying for you all the time. Greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I am reminded, therefore, rather, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy, I'm praying for you all the time. Timothy, I recognize that you have a great spiritual heritage, and I believe that that your mother and your grandmother, who love God so deeply, invested something in you, that they transferred a legacy of faith to you. But then he starts this, and he says, But Timothy, I have an admonition for you that grows out of my concern. I want you to be sure to stir up the gift of God, which is in you by the laying on of my hands. For God, he says, has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Timothy, stir up the gift because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of love, of power, and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed. That word therefore is is important. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Let's just ask the Lord to bless His Word. Lord, we ask you, Lord, this morning uh, to bless your Word. Help me to be concise and not, Lord, to go on at at extreme length, Lord, this evening. But, Lord, I believe that you want to speak to our hearts about something, Lord, that may be meaningful, powerful, transformative for some folks who are gathered with us here or meeting in this place this evening. And so, Lord, would you, Lord, send the enablement of your Holy Spirit upon all of us. Lord, I certainly am looking to you for grace and strength, God, that's beyond my uh, natural ability. But God, not me alone, we all need that blessing. We all need the enablement of your Holy Spirit to understand your truth this evening. And so we ask you, Lord, to work in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to give you a little uh, a little background, a little bit of interpretive information. You see, in order to understand uh, or to get a handle on some passages of, uh, passages of Scripture, it is common to do what is sometimes called Mirror reading. Mirror, like you look in the mirror. Mirror reading, or you might call it reflective reading. And uh, this simply means that you assume uh, that the mention of a thing implies either the presence or the absence of that thing 
in the life or the situation that's being considered in Scripture. Let me uh, explain what I mean by that. Uh, you see, in 2 Timothy 1.8, and I guess the best way to explain it is to show you how mirror reading is used in 2 Timothy 1.8, because indeed this is one of those passages where in order to interpret it, you have to you know, exercise your mind in this way. Uh, for example, Paul reminds Timothy in this passage to fan God's gift or to stir up the gift of God and, and the word actually uh, that's employed there, it's translated or uh, into English as stir up, literally means to fan a fire. And so Paul speaks to Timothy and he says, Timothy, I have an admonition for you. I want to remind you of this thing. You need to fan the gift of God that was given to you into a flame. Now, this is the way mirror reading works. The assumption is that if Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you need to stoke the fire of the Holy Ghost, because that's what he's talking about. When he says the gift of God that's given you by the laying on of hands, you know, you, you might say, well, what is the gift of God? And some people say, well, it could be like the gift of prophecy, or it could be the gift of in- interpretation, or maybe it's the gift of you know, foreknowledge or whatever. These. But the truth is, when you look at the pattern in Scripture and you look at the reference to laying on of hands over and over again in the book of Acts, the laying on of hands is associated with the impartation of the Holy Spirit. And so in the context, when God, uh, rather when Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, stir up the gift of God that's in you, then the implication is that he's saying, Timothy, you need to stir up the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what's further implied is that he says it because the fire of the Holy Spirit may have been burning down in Timothy's life. Paul is a keen observer. This is a young man upon whom Paul had called in the past to do significant things. And as he's watching Timothy, he has a concern because he believes that there's something that's on a diminishing ebb. That there's something about the, the role of the Spirit that's losing out in Timothy's life. The influence or the power of the Holy Ghost is declining. And so... He says, Timothy, you need to take care of that. You need to stir up or fan into a flame again, into a raging fire again, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life. You see, what happens, and this Again, it's, it's what you know. In the, it's mentioned. Then the assumption is that it's a matter of concern. You see, as the the influence and the dominance of the Holy Spirit was in decline in Timothy's life, then there would have had to have been some sort of outward manifestation for Paul to recognize it. And the great likelihood in this context, because he's really challenging. Timothy, in this whole letter to action, is that somehow he had observed that Timothy's passion and his effectiveness was lessening. And so he says, Timothy, the most likely explanation for that is that the Holy Ghost is not burning 
as intently in your heart as has been formerly the case. And you need to stir that up. You need to take care of that issue. So that's one example of mere reading in uh, the book of Timothy. Now, there's also the statement that uh, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you need to know this. God's given us the spirit. God has imparted this wonderful gift, but you need to understand that that spirit is not a spirit of fear. And so here again, you have a case of mirror reading, and you have to ask yourself, why does Paul say that? And the likelihood is that this is what Timothy was being troubled by. That Timothy was fearful. In fact, there are numerous places throughout uh, the, new, the, 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 the epistles of Paul where Paul either speaks of or writes to Timothy that there's a strong indication that Timothy was uh, paralyzed at times by timidity. That fear would frequently rise up as, you know, as much as Paul appreciated this young man, he had observed this fact that very often Timothy probably, you know, Paul is a choleric personality. He's a doer of deeds. He's kind of an aggressive kind of fellow. That's the way he comes across in the New Testament. That's kind of the way we meet him before he even knows Jesus. And that follows through in his ministry. But Timothy was a totally different personality, it seems. And sometimes, fear got the upper hand in Timothy's life. And it began to paralyze him. And how do we know that? Well, then it takes us, you know, uh, well, well, we'll get to that. The, the, the third instance where you use mirror reading in this passage is the mention of power, love, and a sound mind. He says, he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us what? A spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And the implication in this case is that um, the believer's life is uh, weakened. When these three qualities in particular... Now, in a general sense, Timothy's um, fear rises up in his life and begins to control him and begins to get the upper hand in his life when the Holy Spirit's influence begins to diminish. So as the fire of the Holy Spirit begins to go out, the the tide of fear begins to rise. You know, we all have uh, natural predilections. We all have natural tendencies. Some folks are more timid than others. You know, like... uh, Timothy over against Paul. But any one of us can surmount the obstacles or the challenges that we have in life if we allow the Holy Spirit uh, to give us the victory. But when the Holy Spirit's influence in our life begins to diminish, then some of our weaknesses begin to rise. And in Timothy's case, it was fear. But in particular... In a general sense, the issue was that, you know, he was allowing the, the, the potency, the power, the flame, the fire of the Holy Spirit to burn or ebb low in his life. But Paul is more specific still. He says, you've got to fan the gift. But what's the gift? It's not a gift of fear. It's a gift of 
power, of love, and of a sound mind. And when you start thinking about these three qualities in particular, all of which are imparted to the believer and sustained in our lives by the Holy Spirit. Power comes by the Holy Spirit. Love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. A sound mind, and we're going to look at this briefly in a minute, has, uh, has uh, associations with self-control, and it comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a gift, a fruit, rather, of the Spirit. And so Paul says, Timothy, in a general sense, fear is taking over in your life, and timidity is beginning to paralyze you because you're allowing the fire of the Holy Ghost to lose or to diminish or to die out. But even more specific, Timothy, there are three qualities that their diminishment or their lessening in your life is even causing an even greater problem because you're not relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not relying on the power of love, and you're not relying on the efficacy or the importance of a sound mind. So you'll read doing this mirror reading thing. So the reference to these three things of power, love, and a sound mind suggests that these are three areas in specific that Timothy was losing his grip on. See, they're a trio of qualities that form a very effective counterforce uh, to fear. And finally, the admonition. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, so do not be ashamed to testify about the Lord or about me as prisoner, but join with me in declaring the gospel and even in suffering. And and what's the implication there? You see, the waning fire and the diminishing influence of the Holy Spirit and the subsequent loss of passion on Timothy's part, was being matched or paralleled by a rising or a mounting fear, on the other hand, that was preventing him from doing what he was called to do. You see, he was called, like Paul, to preach the gospel. He was called, like Paul was, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And the reason Paul says, so Timothy, or in the the NIV it says, therefore. uh, So, therefore, Timothy, in view of all this, in view of the fact that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind, Timothy, that being so, do not fail to do what you're called to do. The implication, however, is that he was indeed failing. That fear had begun to paralyze him. Fear began to take over and was preventing Timothy from doing all that he was meant to do. So all of this mirror reading tells us that in Timothy's life and in ours, there are some things that we need to do if we are going to resist spiritual paralysis. If we're going to resist finding ourselves in a place where we 
cannot do what God calls us to do. Number one, and it's a very simple list, and it won't take me long to get through it. Number one, you got to break up with fear. Just like she sang in the song. If you want to get past the place where you are paralyzed, and it doesn't know. In Timothy's specific case, it was about being paralyzed to the extent that he wasn't answering the call in his life. But the truth is, fear brings paralysis in any number of areas. It begins to choke out our ability to do what God wants us to do, or to live in the world in a way that God wants us to live. It begins to cripple us. It begins to rob us. It lies to you. Fear lies to you. And fear begins to hold you in any number of false bondages and, and pain. So the first thing that we need to do If we're going to live effective for God, is we've got to break up with fear. We've got to see it quash. That's an old word, quash. I like it better than squash, because I don't like squash. So we need to crush fear in our lives in order for us to begin to do. So all of that soul, you know, in fact, I love in first John 4 and 8, it says that fear, oh my goodness, see. I I forget what I'm doing. Somebody else really ought to run this thing for me. There's just, you know, fear is not a good thing. It's from the text. Here we are. We've got to break up with fear. You know, we've got to see the the power of fear broken uh, in our hearts and and in our lives. And in 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 18, it says this. It says, fear has torment. Fear punishes the human soul. Now, not good fear. Like I said, they're positive fears. They're healthy fears. But we're talking about unhealthy fear. The kind of fear that you need to end your relationship with. And that kind of fear, it brings punishment into the human soul. It brings torment into the human soul. And, and, and this is the kind of fear that Paul tells both us and the fearful Timothy, God has not given that to you. If you find yourself being tormented, if your soul is being punished, if your soul is being tortured by fears, if your life is being crippled or hampered or hindered or brought into, or if you're living in a restrictive place because you're full of fear, God has not given that to you. That is not something that you have to say to yourself, well, you know, what can I do? I've got to live with it. It is what it is. Well, it may be... The truth, insofar as your fallen nature is concerned, but in that you're a redeemed soul, in that you're born again, you're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit abides within you, that need not be the case. God didn't give it to you. God means that that kind of fear should have no place in our life. This is the kind of fear that we need to break up with. Letting fear have too much control over our lives can be devastating. Like I said at the top of this episode, there's a lot to cover here, and this message will be continued next week. You can listen to the continuation on the radio, on the same station where you may have heard us today, or in podcast form on our website at cviewfullgospel.com. 
Christ is the Answer is recorded at the Seafield for Gospel Church in beautiful Back Bay, New Brunswick. Until next week, remember, Christ is the Answer.